Welcome to our latest co-hosted podcast. I'm Chuck Marple, your host. Here are my co-host, Karen E. How are you doing today, Karen? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? We're doing fine here in sunny Georgia. We're going to have a storm overnight, but hopefully for our area, it's not going to be too bad. Well, people, in today's episode, we're going to be looking at various people and issues that are in the news, particularly focusing on people in the GOP. We now have two GOP candidates for president, the former president and a former governor and new ambassador, Nikki Haley. What do you think about Nikki Haley running, Karen? Um, she, when I hear her name, I think about her being a big Trump supporter in the past. Um, so that is sort of a, a black mark against her. What I do like is that she's, 51 and she's female. I think those are two things that are helpful. I'd like to see somebody younger win the presidency. I think many people feel that way. I think that the preference is is that do we want two men that are basically 80s uh, being president of the United States today? And I think, you know, that throws off a lot of younger people and it could affect the voting from the younger people too. Well, three things about Haley. Uh, she opposed efforts to expand Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act, which was re- reimbursed back from the federal government. And there was making South Carolina one of the just 11 states that hasn't expanded, med- expanded Medicaid to allow more Americans to have health insurance. She also defended Paul Ryan budget back in 2011 that would have transformed Medicare into a voucher and premium support system. As a senior getting Medicare, no, we can't go for that way. And she wants to eliminate the corporate income tax. That is not a very good thing to do. But then she is from a state where they have the right to work. Now, your grandfather used to say that what right to work means you got the right to work for whatever the boss is going to pay. So he was a union man, as I used to be a union man when I was working, too, for the same reason. The thing is of it is when we give bonuses to the rich and the corporates, do they use it to make it better for their employees? No. They'd used Never. it to buy back stock and give dividends. I mean, uh, uh, for instance, Disney's talking about laying off something like 7,000 people to boost their dividends. That's not the way to do it. But you have to look at, like, in full disclosure, I have a very tiny amount of Disney stock, and I did enjoy dividends from Disney in the past. <laughs> but there's got to be, there's corporate bloat there, too. You know, there there probably are 7,000 jobs of corporate bloat. Will that be what they get rid of? I don't know. But that is definitely, there's always downsizing in any company that big. Yeah, it, it happens, and particularly in the leisure thing. And they're having their own issues with the person we're going to talk about next. Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. There are so many issues when we look at, at this man. From, uh, from the, how he dealt with the pandemic and how he changed his mind about the pandemic later on about uh, vaccines and so on. Uh, and it's just, it's all there. One of the things that, that bothers me is Florida and their public schools already have some issues in many of their cities, which you're aware of having been in Florida. Uh, you know, you have to look around to find the right schools almost, or you have to go to a private school. And what he is, ta- yeah. And what's happening is that he's considering banning all AP courses from Florida schools. That puts 
Florida students wanting to go on to top level colleges at a disadvantage. Because one of the nice things about the AP is that they are generally higher weighted when you're figuring your average because they're much, much more difficult. So if they can't get that higher average because of that and they're in competition with people from, say, Georgia or New York or Massachusetts, some other states, you know, it's going to make a difference. Go ahead. What I was going to say is that Ron DeSantis is the type of person, like if you think about kids in a school classroom, you know, he gets a spitball in the back of the neck and he turns around, stands up and fires a Tommy gun. You know, this is all about <laughs> tying into other issues that you, you're going to mention with him is, is his refusal to allow the AP black history course in Florida schools. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he doesn't want to allow that and people spoke out against that. So he's just going to get rid of AP classes altogether. That's how he kind of reacts to everything over the top every time because he's figured out that that's what the base likes. Yes. And that's, that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to out Trump Trump. And uh, that's, that's kind of tough to do, but he's doing a good job of it. And, you know, we brought up about Disney and one of the things, that Disney did was they had set up with the state where they had a lot of control over all the services in their vicinity. And he wants to change that because he thinks that gives them too much influence, I guess you could say. Yeah. Like I read a lot about that when it first all started going down with like the Reedy Creek. Um, That's what the organization is called. And it, it, I didn't really understand, like, really what kind of power he thinks they have over the state in general, because they have power to, you know, govern their own area, you know, set their own speed limits and make their own street signs and traffic lights and that sort of thing. And... Uh, it doesn't, they, and, and Disney pays for that. Like all of those services mm-hmm. in that Reedy Creek area are paid for by Disney. There's no taxes that are required by people in the, those zip codes or those areas. There's nothing, that nothing about that hurts the state at all. So the whole thing has been kind of confusing to me from the beginning. And every time I read about it or try to understand it, I still don't understand why he thinks this Disney thing. Yeah, I, I, I think... Yeah, I, I think what would drive, would drive me crazy if I lived in Florida is the fact that Disney pays an awful lot of money, makes a lot of money, and draws people to Florida. Not just for Disney either. They bring them down for Universal Studios doing things, at Bush Gardens and Tampa, all over the state. It brings people in. It really made Florida a destination for families, which it wasn't so much before Disney came in in the early 70s or mid-70s. So it's, 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 it's quite... The, the issue on there, why do you bite the hand that's feeding the state? Because so, if, if Disney Disney has the power, if they run to say, we're going, we're going to leave, leave behind, we're going to take everything we can take, but the rest of it is yours, it's your problem now, and we're going to take, you know, 10,000 jobs with us and all the other ancillary. And that's the thing people don't understand. For every Disney job, there's probably about five or 10 people in the Orlando area that are supported because of Disney. You think about restaurants and hotels and mm-hmm. taxi service and gas stations and just drugstores and all kind post op, post offices. Everything is is benefiting from people coming here. People coming here for four to 
four to 14 days or longer to stay at Disney. And then you have people that have timeshares at Disney. They're coming every year. Then you have people that do budget Disney trips. They rent homes that are open for rental. That's benefiting people that own those homes. Like there's so much that goes on around that celebration Florida area that I think it's probably more, it's more like probably 15 jobs outside of Disney world per every employee at Disney. Like it just so much is brought in by having Mm -hmm. that, you know, Florida doesn't have income tax. They don't need it. Right. That's right. They make all their money from, from tourists coming in for the, for the most part and what they spend in there, which brings us to another problem with them. And you brought a little bit of it up about the AP African-American course. And that, that's, that's the issue of race. As I look at that and, and look at the number of people of color who do, in fact, live in, live in Florida, work in Florida, pay, uh, pay their own different kinds of taxes in, in Florida and, and support it, including working at Disney and other places. I think, you know, it takes me back to Birmingham, Alabama in the 1950s when they wanted to, to limit what black people could do. And this was just right after the, the, the uh, um, Brown versus the Board of Education, the Topeka, Kansas decision that, that said race cannot, you know, people can't be segregated by race. So you had this, this law about buses. And of course, Rosa Parks, as we've all, we all have studied in the past and hopefully we'll continue to do it, uh, refused to follow that rule. And what did they do? Black people, people of color in the city of Birmingham and in the surrounding area, stopped riding the bus. Now, they were the primary users of the bus. So all these buses were flowing that they had to pay for drivers and everything because they had to still keep up the route. were running around half empty or more. They lost, back then, millions upon millions of dollars in city revenue and the bus company revenue because these people refused to do it. And I'm wondering if this attitude, racial attitude, that the governor of Florida is putting out, and he is upsetting, there's articles today in the news about that, are going to revolt and do the same thing. Start withholding their money. Start leaving Florida for one thing. If I, if I was, was a professional and I was a person of color with the attitude that he's got, there's so many other states that are going to be a lot more welcoming. They're going to have better education for their kids because they will, they'll have the opportunity for the AP courses in public schools and private schools and charter schools. Uh, I mean, because what DeSantis is doing with the AP is blocking for everybody. It wouldn't be just, it would be any school in the state would not be able to offer it. Uh, I also have a, have a problem that a lot of these, these I don't know for Florida, I have to check it out, but a lot of these places want to give money, tax money, to private schools. I'm not sure that that's the best idea, particularly when they can include religious schools. And now with the Supreme Court being the way it is, that's some issue too. But again, getting back to the, this race thing, that why is it so wrong for us to teach history? Why is it, it like- so wrong to teach history? I really wish that I would have had the opportunity to take any class that was specifically African-American history. Like I've learned so much on my own now, you know, watching 
the American experience on PBS or coming across various webinars, you know, especially during COVID and just sort of reading, reading up on things and paying attention to what the things that I see on social media from, you know, my friends of different races, see what they're reading, what they're talking about and, you know, research it further. And I, I feel robbed, honestly, like I went to, I would say that where we, I went to school in elementary school was pretty, pretty diverse, I would say, especially being a bus rider from the poorer side of town. And middle school and early high schools, that wasn't diverse at all. And then I would say my last two years of high school, that was just a rich white suburb area. And there was a bit more diversity than I where we lived previously, but not much. And then thinking back in college, you know, it was a very liberal college but it was mostly focused on class and gender. Like that's been a complaint about this particular college since I was there that it racially, they just, I feel like the opportunity to have presented us with more, it it was completely missed. You know, I've read a lot more books by black men and women in the last few years than I ever did in college. I just feel like there was no emphasis on that. And I feel robbed, you know, I feel like wish I'd known. I, I just learned about a new, um, anthropologist and author, uh, oh, I'm going to forget her name, Z- Z- Zora, Zora Neil Houston, 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 something like that. But she did mm-hmm. some really revolutionary stuff in the early 19, in the 1920s, 30s, 40s. You know, she wrote a lot of work. She was good friends with Langston Hughes. Like that was, it was interesting to learn about her. And it's like, she was a prolific writer. How come I've never heard of her? I majored in English. Like this, this shouldn't be happening. They didn't, I don't recall them ever offering a class in African-American literature at a very supposedly liberal school. And I feel robbed and we're robbing kids in Florida. We're robbing kids in the U S in general still, unless your parents are really trying or they've put you in a district where they are really trying just going back to your point about public money going to private schools, they have the voucher program here. And because the city school district is a title one school, you can get like 85% of your tuition paid for at any private school around here. And we opted not to do that because we found that actually the title one school that's failing has more money to offer more opportunities. They have, we have tons of colleges in, in, and in the city surrounding. So there's way more college offerings. There's way more extracurricular offerings. There's way more here than I've ever seen at any rich white suburban district we've lived in. It's yeah. insane. Well, so I was fortunate. Has, I was going to say, there Go has ahead. been more racial education that I've seen, even at the fourth and sixth grade level. Like, you know, those my younger two are much more well-versed in that than I ever was, even as a college student. Well, you know, there's a whole bunch of things going on with that. Textbooks very, very were worthless for really teaching uh, about it. In fact, it reminds me there was a, a new textbook that came out when I was teaching high school, and for American history, and it showed a picture of Andrew Carnegie, and the picture was taken in the eighteen eighteen hundreds, and what what it was was it made him look quite dark. And I actually had students write about that he was the first black <laughs> entrepreneur. 
you know, and I'm like, here's this man from Scotland. Of course, you know, I what the affinity I have for Scotland now, and and yet that's what what, what their experience was. I was fortunate in that the first school I worked in was a Title I magnet school, an elementary school, and there was a lot of, of, of extra money that came in for that. And we were very, 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 had a very talented staff, a very talented principals that, that really put a lot of, a lot of effort on it. And like I say, a good, almost half the staff was people of color. And I was very good friends with a couple of them that I, I, I used to see them even after I left. It's a, it was a very, very interesting experience on that. And interestingly enough, one of those students from that first year in there, is now an astronaut, Jeanette Upps. And I, I think I talked about Jeanette Upps in the past. And she mm -hmm. may, may be one of the people who are scheduled to go into the space station in, in not the distant future. And at one time she was scheduled to be part of the Artemis program. Whether that's going to happen now or not, I don't know. Because they just reopened all the astronauts at that program. But yes, you know, and there isn't. And it's different states, generally led by Republican governors and legislators, are trying to say that we don't want white people to feel bad. Well, I don't think teaching history should make you feel bad. It should make you feel uncomfortable. There's a big difference between being uncomfortable and feeling bad. Feeling bad uh, makes you think that, okay, I did something wrong. Feeling uncomfortable means my history has done something wrong. Every country in the world, every region has those issues of, of, of discomfort of what they had done. We could take them from, from Japan, and Japan today still has issues about what they did to people in China and Korea during World War II and before. Uh, China has its own issues of how it dealt with its own indigenous people as the invaders came, came in. Every country in the world has has behaved in a bad way just because we have those traits as human beings. It's part of what make us, makes us human beings. The Lord gave us free choice, and sometimes that free choice isn't a very good choice for other people. So it's, it's really sad that we can't talk and be honest about the history. And that's why, as I said in the, in the last podcast we did, how I used to try and teach it as the threads of black history in this country. And then one last quote on there, I'll bring it, bring it back to that point about, about race, is that we still, if we truly look at it, there was slavery for more years in the new world under the European control than there's been years in America without slavery. 300 years before, and we're just 160 years, not even 160 full years away from the end of slavery. And that's a sad thing to say. And we're starting to do this. Now, one of the really people, we, we, we talk oh, about, about these. But go, ahead. go ahead. I have two things I'd like to say about Ron DeSantis. Okay. There are two things going on in Florida that are really impacting the citizens of Florida that he does not do anything about. One of those is the crushing cost of homeowner's insurance and mm -hmm. demands to get roofed surfaces that are under 15 years that are 15 years old or just under that to, the insurance companies will drop you if you don't get them replaced he i i can't i think he signed a law that said that 
if an insurance company tells you that, they have to give you a period of time to get an inspection done on your roof. And if the inspection comes back that you have five years of life on your roof, they cannot make you replace it. But he's done nothing to control the cost of insurance. There are people that just, they cannot afford the cost of their insurance. And due to the, the housing crisis and the availability of homes during COVID, home prices have shot up in especially areas that don't have room to build. So you're looking at people that still have a mortgage, their homeowner's insurance has doubled or more in some cases. And not only that, their house is now being assessed at a higher tax value than it was previously. And now they're having to come up with five to $700 more in escrow that they just don't have available. So people are looking at foreclosure on a home that they could afford two years ago. That's number one. Number two is the surging cost of power. He's done nothing to regulate that. Nothing. And I have done some research and there are some executives on the board of the Florida power people that have taken over most of the smaller power companies in Florida. He's gotten multiple million dollar donations from those individuals. It's not in his best interest to do anything to regulate the cost of power in Florida. And that is why I think it'll be interesting to see all the people that moved to Florida because they thought they'd be more free there are finding that it's really the most expensive state to live in because of these two major issues. Yeah, you know, you don't even Yeah, you don't even realize those kinds of issues. I didn't know about the insurance thing, but I didn't know about that roofing thing. I didn't know about the power issue too because he is also anti renewable power. Yes. He 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 is against solar power, which a state like Florida that you could do really well with solar power. Sunshine state. Yeah, and so you, you've, you've got that issue, and wind too, because they have some pretty good storms down there. Uh, we've been talking, uh, up until this point, we were talking uh, about race. But let's look at, and I'm going to continue still a little bit with, with uh, DeSantis. Let's look at what has happened to 51% of our, our population in this country, and that is women. And we can talk about gender itself, but I'll get to that, that, that separately because that's got its own issue there. Uh, and th that is that women, you don't have, and this is one of the things that drives me crazy, you don't have to be pro-abortion to be pro-choice. Pro I don't feel men, particularly in these Supreme Court men, have the right to tell women what they can and cannot do body. Maybe they've got good religious views about it and everything else. But the point of it is, it should be between a woman and her doctor, a woman and her husband, a significant other, whatever. It really has no business for the government to be involved in it. And that's what the Supreme Court said in Roe versus Wade. It was a privacy issue. Why places like Florida and Texas are two of the worst and they're trying to do the same thing in Georgia. It isn't very good in Georgia either for right now. The, why I, I can't people be willing to give women the full rights? I mean, we could argue, too, that the Equal Rights Amendment was within two states of passing, and they finally, some states rescinded, tried to rescind their votes to pass it, but it ended up not, never being passed. So, I mean, th this thing about the gender inequality is really bothering me in Florida and other states. It's really interesting because I try to think about, like, how did this start? And there, there's someone on Facebook that I've like just 
sort of made a hobby out of reading because she's so ridiculous. I can't stand it. And she points back to the Bible as the place that tells women they should not leave the home. Their job is to have children and to be a help me to her husband. And she is not have any money making endeavor. She needs to do everything. She needs to financially support the family by being frugal, not spending money, not wearing any makeup, not having fancy clothes, making dinner instead of going out to dinner. Women are not built to work. And it's like this evangelical movement. And I don't think it's growing. I think there's just people that buy in it, but it seems like there are people that literally think that that's what the Bible is telling women to do. And you are on, you know, straight on the road to hell. If you're a woman that wants to work or a man who's makes his wife work or encourages her to yeah. work even. Yeah. I, I've, I've seen that kind of issue too with uh, uh, a church we looked at when we first moved here. They would come in and they had what they call prayer warriors. And one of the one of the, the men would come in and they would kneel down and they had the microphone and the woman would stand by them and and the way they stood by them with their hand on the on the man's shoulder and everything with their head about it was a subservient position on there. And then not once when there was a couple did the woman say the prayer. It was always the men. And of the everybody in yeah, I mean, and, and that's the thing. The, the last church we were in, in Warner Robins, did not, their policy was that a man, from the church, the people who worked at the church, that a man and a woman who were co-workers could not be in the same car by themselves. They could not be in the same car by themselves. And also that if you counsel, if you're a woman, you could only counsel with the female pastor. If you're a male, you could only counsel with the Male pastor. So again, you know, this, this thing on there. They tried to explain some of the things in the Bible a little bit better uh, about not having the women be to be obedient to their husbands and all that. But there is a lot of people that want to take every complete literal experience in the Bible and take it for now. And and that's that's not the way. We you know you can study the Bible all you want. There's some wonderful things in it. There's some things that are, are very very hard to understand. And I found that. So we we have this issue too with, with gender in Florida and most of the Republican states. Uh, I'm not sure that Nikki Haley is going to make it any better. Maybe she would. Maybe she's not. I have a lot of admiration for a Republican senator from Alaska by the name of Lisa Murkowski. She tends to stand up for women's rights no matter what, uh, better than than uh, Susan Collins. I'm not so thrilled about her. And, and the last thing that, that gets me is that we, I thought, like Roe versus Wade, I thought with the Marriage Equality Act that we would leave people to live their own gender lives the way they want. Why they there's 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 physically because of the way they do it, things like uh, uh, drag shows. They don't want drag shows anymore. That that they're 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 immoral. Heck, it's a lot of good entertainment. You see some of those some of those those, those drag shows. Those people in drag are really good looking in in that other role. You know, like you look at RuPaul. For example, um, I dare you to tell him that he's weak or immoral. He's, he's just having the time of his life. And he does makeup better than a lot of women I've seen. 
oh, know, yeah. a lot of drag do makeup and clothing and you know they have it they sewing better than most women and and i've seen a lot you know that talks about drag queens reading books to kids at libraries and how this is horribly offensive and immoral and the worst thing ever and it's like reading books is bad mm-hmm. like i remember being a little kid in the 80s listening to boy george and I wasn't confused about it at all. He was just boy George and he wore dresses. Like it never even occurred to me as being strange. I liked the music and it was never, it was never anything to me that made me think away or expose me to some immoral thing that I knew, you know, too early in my life. There's more of that on the bus than in boy George's music. You know, like there's, it's just bizarre to me, the things that people worry about. You know, they want the freedom to not have to give their kid a shot or not have to put a mask on their kid, but they want to tell everybody else what they should expose their child to. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's, very, that's, that's very problematic that, that people set one set of rules for their own feelings and set rules for everybody else. And again, that goes back back to Roe versus Wade and, and all these other kinds of things. Well, we've we've, we've kind of done a good job of tearing Sanders and his views in Florida apart. Now let's get to a little bit of a financial thing. I had, we, we've gone a, a while on here, so I'm not going to spend an awful lot of time on it. But I'm going to maybe help people have a little bit of understanding about something that is is really going to have great effects on on every one of us if it comes down to the wire. And it doesn't even have to, to happen. It just comes down to the wire effects because it affects the stock market and everything else. And that is the argument over the debt ceiling. The debt ceiling simply says this. The government cannot pay for all of its bills all the time. So what they have to do is borrow money. And eventually the money does build up. The greatest buildup of the debt ceiling and the most acceptance of raising a debt ceiling was under the Trump administration in four years. They raised the debt ceiling three times and there wasn't any argument about it. Every time a Democrat's in there, it doesn't matter. Part of the reason that they had a huge debt ceiling addition was the great trillion dollar tax cut for corporations and rich. But but now we get get to the argument of, of, well, we got to try and balance a budget. It is near impossible to balance a budget under the best terms. You can work on the deficit so you're not adding to that debt. And in fact, at the last year of the Clinton administration, there was a huge surplus. More money had come in than they spent in those last years of the Clinton administration because the economy was doing so well. And what happened? We get a Republican there and they gave it away. Every taxpayer got a $600 check. And what happened to us? 9-11 and everything shot to hell again. And we, we started doing it. And people tend to forget when they talk about the economics of everything and inflation, People were in a pandemic. We are just coming out of that, not completely out of it, but we're, we're, we are in a pandemic, something we hadn't seen for 100 years. It's going to create different things. We have a different economy than they did in, 19, in the 1920s, too. We have a lot more people that need to be taken care of. We have a lot more needs. There was a lot more going on. We, we have... So the fact that we have this inflation, yeah, it's it's not good. But look at how long that supply chain got to be behind. They had hundreds, literally hundreds of ships, container ships off the coast, on both, both coasts. 
and in the various ports. They could not alone because they couldn't get employees because people were had to be home or they were sick and, and, and sick and dying, and many more were, in fact, Republicans. So what, what's the problem? The problem here is that there are some programs that can't be cut. We have to have a military. We have to pay that military. We have to pay the veterans who were, who earned that time, like you and your brother did, 20 years in the service and came out of it in worse shape than you entered into it, specifically because of the military. And many, many people had 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 lost their lives, lost both legs, arms, head injuries, that, that they've lost everything capable on there too, costing uh, continuing to cost us billions of dollars in, in benefits uh, at the VA particularly for these people who can't live at home or can't live on their own. So what happens? What's left to do it? Education. Do we want to cut into education? Is that what the Republicans want to do? To balance that budget and to bring down that deficit? They want to trade off. They want to be at least a dollar for a dollar. For every dollar they raise the debt ceiling, they want to have a dollar and cut somewhere else. Which takes the idea of a debt out of it anyways when you do that. But, but they, they want to do this, but there's only about 30% of the budget that they can do it with. They've talked about cutting on Social Security and Medicare, or at least sunsetting them. So every five years, they get to vote on them. We have not had a budget that began at the beginning of the budget year and lasted the whole year yet. And I don't know how many years, how many different Congresses. They vote it. They, they vote continuing resolutions. Well, we'll pay our bills for another six weeks, two weeks, month, two months, six months, whatever. But they've never gone a full year in what are we going to do with this? If they have to do something that is so important to so many of the people in the country, Social Security and Medicare. I hate the word entitlements with that too. Yeah. We're not, we're, 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 like we're handing you something that you didn't earn. It, uh, Social Security and Medicare are earned benefits. We paid in our money for generations. Only one generation really got more out of it than they put into it. And now they want to raise the age and all this this kind of stuff. But they, here's the thing that you can't. How are you going to decide on to do it? You can't. You won't, don't really want to cut education. Maybe they do. Maybe they they don't mind us being being out of the competition with with different countries in Europe and China. Mm. Do you do you cut do you cut healthcare? Do do you cut uh, research? Research for drugs, research for, for other things. Do you cut the money money that we, we give uh, from Medicaid? Do we, uh, they're talking about now hitting on food stamps. They're talking about all these kinds of things, things that, that they would have to cut into. And it's still, when they do it, it's not going to happen. One of the big, one of the big things the Republicans started, one of their very first things, was to make a new act that would rescind all that money to hire more IRS employees. Now, okay, and I actually argued with our, with our, our son and his wife about this a little bit and somebody else, because they had, they had been convinced that they were going to, that they were going to go after middle-class taxpayers. They made it very clear and that's what they're holding to, as far as I've understood and seen, 
that they're going to go after people who make more than $400,000 and do better audits on them. But the big thing isn't even that. The big thing is to get, tax, get taxpayer help. Last year, if you tried to call in, you would be lucky to get anything but a busy number for hours. So again, this debt ceiling, if they don't accept the debt ceiling and the country defaults, we're talking about trillions of dollars of investment from other countries. We are the gold, we are still the gold standard for investing in. We may not like it the Chinese and Russians and all these other people have invested so much in our country into things that we think we should be only the ones invested in. But the truth is that the money is there. If we default, I guarantee the stock market, any stock market we've seen since the Great Depression and the Great Recession will look minor if we default. The stock market will drop 50% in a matter of days. The threat of it, if we go right down to the wire, the threat of it is going to be cause a recession all by itself. We have avoided the recession. Praise God, so far we've re- avoided, uh, avoided a recession. Let's not have it go on. So again, I hope that gives a little bit of perspective for people about the debt ceiling and what it, what it means, that we can't default. If we default, every person in this country, every man, woman, and child is going to suffer. Mm-hmm. We cannot allow a majority in the House of Representatives of four, likely once our good, a good friend from New York, uh, now, this has slipped my mind. That wonderful, intelligent liar. I want to say Castro, but now you know who I mean. And all my listeners know who I mean. That guy who should be out of Congress because he lied about everything. Oh, Santos. Oh, Santos. Thank you. Santos. Well, I think there's going to be a Democrat in there before you know it. But anyway. <laughs> so, you know... Uh, we can't have the budget being held hostage by any group. We need to get this settled. We need to have a year a year annual budget. And the other thing is they have not proposed the budget. We'll see what happens. Any last thoughts, Karen? This was a great conversation about a lot of different things. Yes. It has been, you know, and it's, it's important to look at all these kinds of things and, you know, we both have very strong views on the, these things, and you may disagree with us. You may not. Most of the people probably don't. We tend to stay in our own echo chambers, but that's okay. All the same. Well, well, thank you for, for listening, and thank you, Karen, for being here once again, and we're going to continue this. Uh, and a little aside, I'm going to give, give you a little buzz in, in advance. I, I don't know. Never mind. I'm not going to. I take that back. If we talk about that, I would not say it until, until we've talked about it. Anyways. Thank you, and thank you for listening, people. Have a wonderful, blessed day. God bless and protect you, all of the people listening, and our troops wherever they are. Have a good afternoon, people. Goodbye.